South Carolina's offensive stars showed up once again against Mississippi State. But the most important takeaway from this game was what the Gamecocks did in terms of running the football. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks Podcast. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank y'all so much, as always, for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch for your team every day. We are free and available both on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do apply. I am so glad that I went back and watched the entire game over again before I decided to come on here and do a little bit of reaction to South Carolina's Week 4 victory against the Mississippi State Bulldogs. A game that admittedly was probably a bit too close for comfort if we were all being truthful and honest about this contest, but... At the same time, a win is a win, and the Gamecocks definitely displayed some positives on offense and defense. Although, there was a position group on the defensive side of the ball that did not have their best night on Saturday. We'll be sure to touch on all that, and we'll also discuss what our initial thoughts are on the Tennessee Volunteers. All of that on this Monday edition of Locked on Gamecocks. Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett both shined once again for South Carolina, but the quiet emergence of South Carolina's ground attack was the most important takeaway on the offensive side of the ball against Mississippi State this past Saturday. Let's, of course, talk about the headliners to start off this show, beginning with Spencer Rattler, because the guy just continues to display traits of an elite college quarterback. Spencer Rattler continues to show poise when the pocket is partly condensed and it forces him to have to relocate. He doesn't put the ball in harm's way. He puts the ball where his receiver has a chance to go make a play. He also does not emotionally get down whenever a play goes awry or maybe the offense goes three and out. He keeps his head up. And that is something that a great quarterback does. It is something that a great leader does. It is something that Spencer Rattler continues to do as this season wears on. Even though the players around have not always maybe played up to their fullest potential. Spencer Rattler honestly should have had the single game completion percentage record on Saturday night. But a horribly missed defensive pass interference by Mississippi State and a dropped pass from one of his tight ends ruined his chances of being able to make that happen. But I think Spencer Rattler's at the point where he would say at the end of the day, records are great, but he's happy with the fact that he and this team got the W. So South Carolina's quarterback just, again, continues to be honestly one of the best quarterbacks, not just in this conference, but in all of college football as well. And of course, every Batman needs their Robin. 
And Spencer Rattler's Robin this entire season has been wide receiver Xavier Leggett. I have never, in the 17 years that I have watched South Carolina football, ever seen a guy completely transform himself physically and also on the football field like Xavier Leggett has over the past 9-10 months. Xavier Leggett is on an absolutely torrid pace right now. Based on the stats that he has compiled four games into this season, if Xavier Leggett can keep this current pace going, at the end of this regular season, Xavier Leggett will have 81 receptions, which ranks second all-time in terms of single-season marks. He would have 1,668 receiving yards, which would be a new school record, and he would have 12 receiving touchdowns, which would be the second-highest single-season mark in school history. There's no longer a need to say he is playing like a number one wide receiver. Xavier Leggett is a number one wide receiver. He is a bona fide number one wideout. And right now, unless a team's got an elite cornerback on their roster, Xavier Leggett, quite frankly, he is going to make you pay in some way, shape, or form when he goes up against your secondary Every single Saturday. That is the way that the South Carolina native is playing right now. And you pair that up with South Carolina's quarterback and Spencer Rattler. It is a deadly quarterback wide receiver duo that the rest of this conference has got to look out for for the rest of the season. But the most important thing that happened in this game against the Mississippi State Bulldogs this past Saturday was what we saw in the running game. Mario Anderson Jr., emerged for this football team on Saturday night. And sure, the stat line might not scream, this is a guy for you at running back. Because Meyer Anderson Jr., he got 26 carries, and he rushed for only 88 yards. That's not eye-popping, necessarily. Until I put it in this context. Mario Anderson Jr. got 68 of those 88 rushing yards after contact. He was also hit at or behind the line of scrimmage on 9 of his 26 carries. Around 36.4% of the carries he got against that Bulldog defense. With the way he played on Saturday night, I think until further notice, Mario Anderson Jr., he is running back 1 for South Carolina. Now, I know that some people are going to sit there and they're going to ask, Why did this move not take place sooner? There's a couple reasons why. One, Dow Loggett's talked about this this past week especially. This coaching staff, they value a great deal what these guys do in practice. Obviously, none of us watch this team practice throughout the week like these coaches do. And clearly, there were certain things about Mario Anderson Jr.'s game that they wanted him to improve upon when he arrived in Columbia. Otherwise, He probably would have been the first running back to trot out on the field against North Carolina in week one. You just have to trust that from this coaching staff. But it's clear that apparently he is making improvements in practice and thus he is now getting more opportunities when these games are taking place. Here's the other thing that we got to keep in mind here. We're talking about to carry on Joyner, a sixth year senior, a leader for this team, a guy that has been through a lot in his college football career. 
Some of you might want Shane to just flat out bench this guy and basically make Mario Anderson Jr. number one on the depth chart officially. I'm going to tell you right now, that's probably not going to happen because locker room dynamics matter here. And that does not mean that Shane Beamer is maybe scared of the possible pushback he would get if he officially made the move in terms of making Mario Anderson the starting running back on the depth chart and thus the starting running back at the beginning of these football games. But you do not want a guy like DK Joyner who has valuable traits that he brings to this room. He brings experience. He is a big body back there, and he is arguably the best pass protector out of that entire group, which is very important at running back. You don't want him to possibly mentally check out, for him to basically say, you know what, that's kind of the last straw. I think I'm just kind of done with this whole football thing, and I'm ready to move on to the next phase of my life. You don't want that to happen in the middle of the season. And I'm not saying it would happen, but the thing is, these coaches now more than ever, they have to walk on a tightrope. When it comes to these situations, locker room dynamics matter when it comes to a guy like DK Joyner and Shane Beamer's position that he's in, in terms of how to juggle this running back rotation right now. So I just want to go ahead and get that out of the way, because I know some people are going to say that or ask that. That is your answer right there. Practice habits need to get better, which they have for Mario and locker room dynamics. But all in all, it was important for this Gamecock offense to have this running game show up like it did against Mississippi State to show we can convert on third down because of our running game. We can grind out and extend long drives because of our running game. Sure, Mississippi State is not the best defense they're going to play this season in this conference, but they've at least now put it on film for other defensive coaching staffs in the SEC They now have to account for the Gamecocks' ground attack. They now have to account for number 24. And that is extremely important for this offense moving forward, especially when you're trying to help out guys like Spencer Ryler and Xavier Leggett, who, as good as they're playing right now, you've got to get them some help on this side of the ball one way or another. The running game against Mississippi State is a fantastic start to accomplishing just that. Now, the defensive side of the ball, they also had some real bright spots against Mississippi State on Saturday night, but there is also a glaring issue that was called out by a ton of fans on social media and during this football game. What all happened exactly with South Carolina's secondary? What led to some of these explosive play busts that took place? I'm going to dive into all of that in more detail in just a couple moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. Now, as a small business owner, you've always got certain traits that you're looking for in the employees that you have in your small business. If you're someone that owns a landscaping company, you maybe don't want to hire somebody that's only worked desk jobs throughout their professional career. If you own a travel planning agency, you don't want to hire a serial procrastinator to be one of your agents. And if you're someone that owns a consultation firm, You don't want to have somebody in your firm that is not exactly a people person. If you are having trouble finding the right people for your business, check out LinkedIn Jobs today. You can add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring and utilize tools like screening questions to filter through the candidates. LinkedIn Jobs is rated number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. And they help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to 
faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free today. Terms and conditions do apply. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to this Monday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day. And speaking of every single day, thank you to each and every one of you every day for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. The defense made some good progress in one specific area against Mississippi State, but also took a step back in another area. But those mistakes are indeed correctable. Let's start off with a couple of keys that I did have for this game. Keys that relate specifically to this Gamecock defense. I thought the Gamecocks needed to control the flow of this game early and force Will Rogers to play hero ball. I think you could check off one of those keys as being fully accomplished and give a half check mark for the other key. Let's go into some of the positives now in what this Gamecock defense did against the Bulldogs. The first positive I want to touch on is rush defense. I thought that South Carolina's defensive line did a really good job of disrupting Mississippi State's ground game on Saturday night, specifically their zone run plays. There was multiple plays where I saw multiple defensive linemen win their one-on-one battle and either stuffed the running back right where he was going, or they forced him to redirect to a different area of the field. When you're doing that consistently as a defensive front throughout a football game, you're making life a lot more difficult, not just for the running back, but also subsequently for the quarterback, by forcing him to have to, over time, make more plays in order just to stay on the football field. And that leads me partly into my next positive, which was, the fight that we saw in the pass rush from this defensive front. Now, in the first half, the defensive front did not do a good enough job of applying pressure to Will Rogers. Shane Beamer made that abundantly clear in his halftime interview with SEC sideline reporter Cole Kubelik. There was little pressure applied to Will Rogers, and there was also no sacks recorded in the first half. In the second half, however, this defensive front recorded four sacks, and forced a fumble via Jordan Strun in, I believe, the late portion of the third quarter. This defensive front throughout the entire game also had five pass breakups. You heard me correctly. Five pass breakups. It looks to me like this defensive front, in practice, they have been emphasizing getting their hands up more whenever a pass is being thrown 
and they know they're not going to get to the quarterback in time. This is honestly a hidden skill that is now much more important in today's college football because of how fast these offenses are getting the football out. You're not going to get as many sacks as you once used to on the defensive side, so you do have to find new and unique ways in order to impact passing plays and impact the quarterback. Getting your hands up in a passing window and deflecting the football and forcing an incompletion at the last scrimmage is certainly one of the best ways to do that. This defensive line did a great job of that on Saturday night. They keep that up. It is going to help take some of the pressure off of this secondary, which um, did not play particularly well against Mississippi State two days ago. I counted up. All the explosive plays that were given up by the defense. And there were six of them in total. And I also looked into why did these plays take place? What all happened on the back end that led to these explosive plays occurring in the first place? And this is what I found. On two of these explosive plays, DQ Smith was just flat out beaten by Tulu Griffin. It was very clear on the first explosive play of the game, which was, I believe, on a post route to Tulu Griffin down the middle of the field, that DQ Smith was not going to be able to cover him in man press coverage, which is what he was in on that first explosive play. Now, I give credit to Clayton White for this. He noticed this and realized this after the very first explosive play happened, and he made a slight adjustment. He did not tell DQ Smith, to go in zone coverage the rest of the night in that nickel corner spot. But he did have him go in more soft man coverage. So he had a 6-7 yard cushion pretty much for the rest of the night against Tulu Griffin when he was covering him. However, there were other issues that wound up showing themselves throughout this game that weren't all on DQ Smith. There was a communication issue between DQ Smith and Nick Worry on the first touchdown pass of the night for Will Rogers, where they were both talking to each other as the ball was being snapped. So they both didn't see the ball get snapped. They were both late at starting to sort of read what was happening in front of them. So therefore, Tulu Griffin, he blew right past DQ Smith on his post route again. And Nick Emmett seeing the play action, bit on the play action still, despite getting a late start on the play, and therefore moved upfield, took himself out of position in the middle third of the field, and put basically DQ Smith on an island. And DQ Smith, again, got beat down the field, but it wasn't all his fault because his safety help was not there. So that's what led to Mississippi State's first touchdown. Nick Worry in total had three breakdowns on the back end against play-action concepts on Saturday night. Nick Worry has played phenomenal throughout his first year and a quarter so far in South Carolina's football program. He had a very rough night against Mississippi State's passing attack. It might have been his worst game of his career to this point, and I'm usually not that blunt with my assessment, but it just was not a good night for the sophomore safety. Now, he's had way more good than bad moments, so we can all assume Nekamiwari is going to learn from this, and he's going to get much better because of what happened against this Bulldog passing attack. But yeah, He's got to do better in terms of reading play action, and he's also got to do better in terms of his pursuit angles. He had a couple pursuit angles after a catch was made that just weren't quite good enough and led to some extra yardage that maybe the Bulldog receiver wouldn't have gotten if he had taken a better pursuit angle from the very beginning. 
Also, Marcel Stahl, he completely misplayed a go route in cover two coverage where he stayed in the flat and he basically did not impede the outside receiver whatsoever and it led to them getting an easy like 30-yard completion in the fourth quarter. That was another mishap on the back end. So my point is multiple guys made mistakes in the secondary. That's why they gave up over 400 and I believe 50-plus passing yards to Will Rogers. But right now, there's not a ton they can necessarily do in terms of changing things up. At the nickel corner spot, Keenan Nelson Jr. is still out dealing with an injury, it seems like. David Spaulding is still dealing with a hamstring issue, so he's not playing at 100% right now. But there was also some things that could have been done in terms of coaching. Again, I mentioned the adjustment that Clayton White made with DQ Smith after the first breakdown against Luke Griffin in the first half. But there is one question that I do have, that maybe we get an answer on at some point down the line. But the question that I would have is, why didn't Kawan Banks play more in this game? Kawan Banks played on special teams. Kawan Banks, as far as I know, he's not hurt. He's not in trouble with the staff for any reason. So why didn't he play more? I know he's a bit undersized. Shane Beamer's talked about that before. But the guy just does really well in coverage. And he also had the size to match up with Tulu Griffin and the speed. I think that maybe there could have been a change made there. You could have put DQ Smith back at the safety spot. And you could have ran Kawan Banks at nickel for the rest of the game. After the first couple breakdowns. I don't know if it's because they're trying to get Jalen Kilgore on the field more often. Alongside Nick Emmett And they're sacrificing a little bit nickel corner because of that. Or what? I don't know what the answer would be to that question. But I did find it interesting that Kawan Banks did not even get a chance on Saturday night to see if he could do any better at nickel. Because quite frankly, it got the defense multiple times. And in a way, it almost costed South Carolina the football game because of what all happened in that secondary. Again, a lot of these things are correctable. I can guarantee you the coaches probably shredded some of these guys in the film room on Sunday. They'll get them fixed this week. You won't see many of those problems reoccur for the rest of this season. But certainly got to correct some of these things because you're about to face a Tennessee football team that likes to throw the football when they get opportunity. But is that the way they're going to play South Carolina in 2023 in their Week 5 matchup? We'll touch on that in just a few moments. Now time for your Game Changer of the Week brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Mario Anderson Jr., Athletic Brewing has been plowing over their non-alcoholic brew competitors thanks to their great tasting non-alcoholic brews. Mario Anderson Jr. rushed for 88 yards on Saturday night, accounting for 29% of the Gamecocks' season rushing total to this point. Athletic Brewing Company's brews are great tasting and award winning and beat out full strength beers in global competitions. And the best part is you never have hangovers when you have their non-alcoholic brews. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 50% off your first online order. That's code L-O-C-K. E-D-O-N at checkout for 50% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times.
Welcome back to today's edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day in just 30 minutes. On the face of it, Tennessee looks like a team this year that's having to lean on a completely different identity compared to the one that they had in 2022. Looking back at the Tennessee Volunteer football team that we watched and witnessed in 2022, this was an offense that was fast-paced, it was balanced, and it was also a team that could hit the home run ball at any given moment. Defensively, they were a bit lackluster at times, but they also are very good at getting off the field when they need it to the most. It was by no means their strength, but was complimentary enough with their offense that it led to Tennessee getting their first double-digit win season for the first time in, I believe, at least 15 years. This season, however, Tennessee's identity has changed somewhat because while they're still kind of fast-paced in terms of the kind of tempo that they like to run offensively, this is a football team that is leaning more on their, so far, consistent ground attack. And they are needing their defense to come through more often, especially their defensive front. And this is backed up by the stats that they've compiled to this point this season. Tennessee is currently rushing for 229.5 yards per game on average, compared to just 234 passing yards per game. Their defense has accumulated 16 total sacks to this point in the season, which is tied for the third best mark in all of college football. They've also accumulated 39 tackles for loss. That is also the third best mark in the entire country. So this Tennessee team, they might not be the Tennessee team that they were one year ago, but that does not mean that this volunteer squad doesn't have their strengths. Now, another question that we could ask about this Tennessee team, and this is one that we're not going to find an answer to until probably this Saturday when the Gamecocks play the Volunteers in Knoxville. But are some of these stats a little bit of fool's gold? And what I mean by that is, are some of these stats a bit misleading because of who Tennessee has played to this point? Because South Carolina, if there is one thing we can say in terms of advantages that they have over Tennessee, this Gamecock football team, they are much more, and I mean much more battle-tested than this Tennessee football team is at this point in the season. Tennessee's first four games had taken place against the Virginia Cavaliers, and that was a neutral side game in Nashville. They played Austin P in Week 2, currently the 38th best FCS football team in the country based on those rankings. They played at Florida in week three, obviously a pretty good test for the Volunteers. And they played UTSA in week four this past weekend. And that originally looked like it was going to be potentially a very tough football game. But the Volunteers played a UTSA football team that did not have their starting quarterback in Frank Harris, one of the best group of five quarterbacks in the entire country. So that game wound up being a lot easier than it probably would have been if Frank Harris had played for the Roadrunners on Saturday. Now you compare that to South Carolina in their first four games. You all know this off the top of your head. South Carolina played number 21 North Carolina week one in Charlotte, 
a neutral site game. They played the number six ranked FCS team in the country in week two in the Furman Paladins at home. By the way, they're still ranked number eighth in the country in the FCS rankings. They played at number one Georgia in week three. And this past weekend, they played the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Again, sure, maybe not one of the best teams in this conference, but nonetheless, a conference matchup. Making it two conference matchups compared to just one for Tennessee to this point, and three Power 5 matchups compared to Tennessee's two that they've had so far this season. There's no doubt about it. Spencer Rattler, Shane Beamer, this South Carolina football team, they have been through an absolute gauntlet so far this season, much more so compared to the Volunteers. And there are some pros and cons for both. For South Carolina, they've had a lot of players get nicked up to a certain degree. And that's going to happen for every football team, no matter who you end up playing. But South Carolina, they've seen maybe a rash of injuries at certain particular spots so far this season. Although it does seem like that they are getting a bit healthier right now, as Juice Wells apparently is the only maybe short-term injury that is listed as doubtful for this game as far as his status is concerned. Tennessee, on the other hand, again, outside of that game against Florida, they've not really been tested a whole lot in terms of the athletes that they have seen and the schemes that they've probably gone up against. And the thing about Tennessee, outside of their win against UTSA, which, as far as I could tell by looking at the box score, was a pretty good win for the Volunteers. They took care of business. They did what they essentially should have done. Tennessee has not played a complete game in any other game so far this season. The Virginia game, sure, the box score would indicate that they ran away with that game. But the issue in that game that I can recall was that their quarterback, Joe Bell, did not play very well against the Cavaliers on that day. Austin P was actually respectable against Tennessee. It took Tennessee nearly an entire half of football to score an offensive touchdown against Austin P. In week three against Florida, yeah, they got flat embarrassed by the Gators in the swamp. Gave up almost 180 rushing yards to Trevor Etienne in that Gator backfield. Allowed Graham Mertz to help them score 29 points. And lost to a Gators team that looked completely discombobulated in week one against Utah two weeks prior to that matchup taking place. So overall, I don't fully know what to make of this Tennessee team. I know that their running game is pretty strong. That is something that South Carolina is going to have to contain this upcoming weekend. I know the defensive front has some good athletes, has some guys that can maybe be disruptors especially at the edge spots. Despite maybe the reputation that Josh Heupel's team carries in terms of being a very heavy offensive-minded team that sometimes is going to negatively impact your defense because of how much time they might spend on the field, they have gotten a lot of good edge rushers out of the high school ranks. And these stats back that up so far. So I think that South Carolina, they're going to face a Tennessee team that obviously is going to be hungry. But they're also facing a volunteer squad that has good athletes in the defensive front. A defensive front that can actually make an impact in these football games. They're facing a team that is going through a bit of an identity crisis, I would say, on offense. And that's not to say that 
it's necessarily a do-or-die game for that side of the ball for the Volunteers, but I don't think they're playing the brand of football they exactly want to play. They like having a strong ground game, but again, we all know in that Josh Heupel offense, Heupel wants a quarterback that can really push the ball down the field. And if you're talking about testing numbers, sure, Joe Billen can push the ball down the field, but it's touch and accuracy, what a shocker, that he's struggling with so far. And also, going through his reads and being willing to take chances and throwing it to tight windows. That's why Spencer Rattler is by far the best quarterback coming into this game on Saturday. So I think it's going to be a matchup of styles, to make a long story short. I think it's going to be South Carolina's passing game on offense versus Tennessee's ground game on offense. And obviously, they don't go up against one another, but I think it's going to be, can South Carolina stop Tennessee's ground game on offense more so than Tennessee stops South Carolina's passing game on offense? I don't think you can fully shut them down, but can you slow them down enough? That's going to be the question that South Carolina's going to have to answer emphatically if they want to walk out of Neyland Stadium with a 3-2 record on Saturday evening after they play the Tennessee Volunteers. We'll be sure to touch on the Volunteers in much more detail as this week continues to progress because... That's going to do it for today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that you all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. As always, what were your thoughts on South Carolina's game against Mississippi State? How do you think the running game looked? What did you think of South Carolina's issues they had in the secondary? And what are your initial thoughts on this matchup against the Tennessee Volunteers? Let me know your thoughts down below in the comments section if you watch today's show on YouTube or Shoot me a direct message on Twitter at A-Line underscore SC if you listen to today's show on an audio podcast app. And once again, thank y'all so much for tuning in to today's show. Have a great rest of your Monday and a fantastic start to the work week. And I'll be sure to catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.